The Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, for those of you who may be wondering what this is all about, um, if you want to find out, you'll have to come tonight. Uh, this is for Kieran's sermon series that he's beginning, um, starting tonight. And he told me it's the very best sermon series that's ever been preached. So, hence all the stuff. Uh, and if you're, if I've piqued your interest, good, because it's going to be awesome. You should come tonight. I'm not going to be talking about any of that. Uh, we'll be talking about Romans 12. So, if you have Romans chapter 12 still open, uh, that would be helpful. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into God's Word and see what uh, He has to say to us this morning. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank You for... Um, as we've already spoken about, an opportunity to gather together as your family, uh, brothers and sisters who are united uh, because of the work of Jesus. We pray that as we open your word now, that you would speak to us, um, that we, you would reveal your truth, um, and that that truth would penetrate into our hearts and lives so that we could look more and more like your son. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, we are picking up where we left off uh, two weeks ago, uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, and in Romans chapter 12, as you may recall, begins with Paul reminding the church that because of the life and work of Jesus, everything has changed. They can be transformed and be made new from the inside out. Um, that the old paradigms of, of sin and hopelessness and fear and shame those things don't apply to them anymore, that we can and should look and feel and act different now. And part of this newness of life means uh, how we view and relate to other believers in Jesus uh, is also different. As we just said, we, we can look at each other as brothers and sisters, family, that those that we don't know who are strangers to us, we desire to make friends. And for those of... Uh, those who are already our friends in Christ, we have this desire to make them into family, that we should love our brothers and sisters in the Lord so much that no one is forgotten, excluded, or lonely, but everyone is welcomed and known and cared for. Uh, that's basically a summary of the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 12, in case you haven't been following along. Uh, well, continuing with that theme of newness and transformation that we have in Jesus, Paul then turns the church's attention uh, to the world around them, the, the wider world that's out there. And in verses 14 to 21, Paul gives 
14 different instructions on how we ought to view and relate to and love our neighbors who don't know Jesus. Both the neighbors that we love, that are friendly, that we get along with, and those that might try and make your life difficult. So what I'd like to do this morning is quickly run through uh, those 14 instructions just so we can see them all laid out. But I'd actually like to spend the majority of our time uh, this morning looking at what Paul does not say. How do you do that? Well, we'll find out. Uh, the reason for this is because these instructions at the end of Romans chapter 12 uh, are tightly packaged together with the beginning of Romans chapter 13, which contains instructions on how Christians ought to view and respond to uh, people who are in roles of authority. Maybe you've read that passage before or studied that passage before, but for a lot of people, Romans 13 tends to be one of the most misunderstood and misread passages in all of Scripture. It's one of those passages that has been used to justify the regimes of uh, tyrannical despots uh, in the past and in the present. Uh, and we ought to be a church that reads and understands our Bibles carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully. And therefore, sometimes it's just as important to hear what isn't being said as it is to what is being said. So, um, let's first turn our attention to what Paul has to say. Um, what does Paul tell the follower of Jesus that a life uh, looks like lived out in our community? Uh, well, I'm gonna, a list is going to come on the screen. This might be hard for you to see, but if you can't see it, it's okay because it's in your Bibles. In verses 14 and 21, you can have a look there. But here's basically the, the 14 things Paul says in, uh, in these verses, in these seven, eight verses. Number one, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Number two, rejoice with those who rejoice. Number three, mourn with those who mourn. Number four, live in harmony with others. Number five, don't think you're better than others. Number six, associate with those who are in need. Number seven, don't be full of yourself. Number eight, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Number nine, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Ten, live at peace with everyone. Eleven, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath or wrath for you Aussie speakers. Uh, Twelve, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirteen, if your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. Number fourteen, do not become, uh, sorry, do not overcome be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There you have it. That's all the verses that are, uh, all the things that Paul says. This is what it looks like to live in community with our neighbors around us. Now, most of these things, as you read through or looked at them on the screen or heard them, um, are rather straightforward. They may not necessarily be very easy for us to do, for the most part, but we, we get it. We understand, which is why Paul um, speaks of these things so quickly. He doesn't provide really any added explanation because they just make sense, right? In, in summary, Paul essentially says to be good citizens and neighbors, to extend love to those who are in need and to our enemies, and to be kind rather than condescending in our interactions with others. That all seems simple enough, right? Most of us might even say that that's exactly how we are living in our communities, in our neighborhoods right now. We vote, uh, we wave to our neighbors when we see them get out of the car across the street, 
Um, we don't play our music too loud after 10 p.m. We don't retaliate when our neighbors put their extra rubbish in our bins the night before pickup. Um, we scan all and not just some of our groceries at the self-checkout kiosks, right? Oh, silent. Maybe some of you don't. Um, we don't dive into our neighbor's pool, even though they said that we can if they're not home, because that's just an overextension of neighborliness, right? Like, we wouldn't do that. Um, we shush our dogs when they bark too loud at the kids next door. We pay all our council fees on time, and we don't bring up politics at the street potluck, right? I mean, we, we're all pretty good neighbors in that regard, aren't we? Hopefully you would say yes, right? Thanks for that, Paul. That sounds really good. Awesome. Glad you got me covered. Pat on the back. Woo! Awesome. And the thing is, we we read this thing. It makes sense. It's not too hard to understand. But a thought sits in the back of my mind, and maybe you had that same question. And that's this. Doesn't Paul's instructions here on how we ought to live as Christians in our communities just seem like how everyone around us chooses to live? regardless whether they believe in Jesus or not? I mean, think about it for a moment. Verse 16, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Doesn't everyone in our streets, at school drop-offs, at the ballet recital, in line for tiger prawns at the fish shop before Christmas, like, don't we all do that, live in, try to live in harmony with one another? I mean, how often do you see a parent doing donuts in the car park, blocking your way to the kiss-and-drop spot? Right? It doesn't happen. Um, and if they did, Christians and non-Christians would probably give that dad, and let's be honest, it would be a dad who'd be driving in circles really fast around the, the roundabout. Uh, we would all give that dad a stink eye, no matter who we were, right? That's, that's what we do. Paul says, well, don't be proud. Don't be proud. That seems simple enough. Uh, I would not be surprised if my retired neighbor, who mows his lawn every week, looks over the fence at the Amazon rainforest growing in my yard and thinks very lowly of me, but he's kind enough never to tell me that to my face. Uh, I may, we, we may meet someone every once in a while who acts really proud or is looking for revenge or isn't a very peaceable person, but almost everyone I've ever met, uh, tends to live the way that Paul instructs Christians to live here. Which is why, when we read these verses, we need to understand what Paul isn't saying as much as we need to pay attention to what he is. So when you glance over these eight verses, I've discovered that there are three things Paul does not invite us to do. Um, Leon calls this the impossible application. He's a really smart guy. He has cool terms like that. Uh, What is the impossible application of a text? Well, the impossible application is the thing that you can't walk away from the text doing or believing. So you hear a text, and you leave, and you do or believe the opposite thing that the text says. For an example of an impossible application of the text, you might look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where Jesus says, you cannot um, serve both God and money. The impossible application of that text is for you to walk out of this door from hearing that being read or studied or whatever and say, you know what? I think I can serve God in money. Does that make sense? That's the impossible application, right? The thing that you can't do from that text. So what are what's Paul's impossible applications in this text? Well, if you've read through Romans carefully and understood Paul's explanation of who we are in Christ and what it means to live for him, 
there are three impossible applications, I think, in this section. Number one, the first impossible application is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are meant to look like and act like everyone else. The impossible application is that we are meant to look like and act like everyone else. That is the temptation for many of us to walk away from this passage believing. After all, Paul never explicitly mentions here things like sharing our faith with our neighbors, going out of our way uh, to care someone for, who, for someone who's in desperate need, inviting others over uh, to share our faith with them. He doesn't mention radical generosity, discipling people, or praying for our neighbors. And therefore, it's really tempting to think, well, the application of this text is for me to just keep doing what everybody else is doing, because that seems pretty simple. That's what my neighbors do around me. Well, how do we know that that's the case, that that's the impossible application? Well, if you rewind all the way back to Romans chapter 1, he starts off this whole letter by saying that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. There's something powerful and special about the good news of Jesus. Then he makes the case that everyone is in serious trouble because we've all run away from God. That's a problem all of humanity has, no matter who you are. But, he says, because of Jesus, we can find rescue and salvation and hope. Then, fast-forwarding way on uh, to chapter 10, uh, as David helped us explore last week, he says, because that good news is available and true for us, it is then our joy and responsibility to be those who are sent to proclaim the good news about Jesus to everyone, everywhere, at all times. And the very first thing Paul says to begin this chapter, Romans chapter 12, is to be transformed by God, not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, that we are to look and act differently and be a people who deliberately and joyously and regularly share the good news with Jesus to our friends and our family, co-workers, neighbors, and the rest of the world. So if you walk away from this passage simply thinking that you can get a pat on the back because you look like everybody else, you have not been paying attention. The second impossible application of this text is that we should not share our faith if it causes tension. After all, Paul says to be in harmony, right? To live in peace with others. It's really hard to live in harmony uh, and in peace if someone disagrees with you or gets upset at you uh, for talking about Jesus, right? Those two things sometimes can't go together. Uh, Many times when I've um, spoken about Jesus with my neighbors or friends or family who don't believe, it's caused disharmony and tension, lack of peace. There have been times uh, I've been called closed-minded or ignorant or backwards, from a current affair reports to royal commissions to pastors being fired because of dumb things that they've done, from the crusades to how Christians have treated homosexuals or minorities or indigenous people or whoever fill in the blank over the years, Christians are not looked upon kindly in our culture at the moment. And a lot of that is justified. So wouldn't it be better then for me to keep my mouth shut and hope that my neighbors choose Jesus without me causing any disruption. I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want that to be associated with me. I don't want people to get upset. Well, last week, 
David uh, said that if we really understand the love of God, we cannot keep it to ourselves. This is someone who's living in a society that's actively persecuting Christians, imprisoning them, throwing them, uh, yeah, hurting them, harming them, killing them. Uh, there's a clip uh, on the internet of a, a guy named Penn Gillette, uh, who is part of the famous magic-slash-comedy duo Penn and Teller. I don't know if you ever heard of them. doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, he states that if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, uh, that God loves everyone and wants everyone to come into his kingdom, that God has a, a, a plan for every single human life, he says, how, if you really believe those things to be true, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that good news? That's the most unloving thing that you could do to keep your mouth shut. So yes, Paul says, we should be good neighbors. We should seek good for those around us. We shouldn't be obnoxious or cause a ruckus. But that does not negate our responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. And those things actually work together. The final impossible application of this text is this. We are to simply roll over whenever we are persecuted. Uh, there are other passages that say things that sound pretty similar, right? Jesus tells us that if we are slapped by someone, we should turn the other cheek. Peter tells us to rejoice when we suffer. Paul in the book of Philippians says about himself that his suffering for the gospel helps him to know Jesus better. So is Paul telling us that whenever someone opposes us for our beliefs, we should just simply take it? Oh, so sorry. I'll keep my mouth shut. Well, the answer is no. No. Um, we better understand this when we look more closely at verse 20. Have a look at your Bibles, Romans 12, verse 20. Um, Paul here is quoting from Proverbs chapter 25 which says that instead of repaying our enemies with hate, we ought to repay them with kindness and love. And when we do that, the text says, we will heap burning coals on their heads. Now, maybe you're like me and you're just wondering, what does that mean? I've read that tons of times before. I've never quite understood what it meant. So I did some research um, because... Um, Putting something burning and hot onto someone's face seems a lot like revenge to me, right? When, so you're not supposed to get revenge, but somehow revenge is going to be gotten anyway, some in some form or another. Um, I mean, if you told me that I was dumb as an ox and twice as ugly and a strange person uh, offered me a ride, I should, should, I should take it. Um, I think a good revenge would, me, would be to um, uh, set your eyebrows on fire. I think that would be good revenge. Uh, that's, that, that seems to make sense, maybe. But that's, that's not what Paul's intending here. That's not what he's saying, that if someone says something, we should, uh, eventually they'll, they'll get their comeuppance later on or whatever. Um, coals in biblical times were symbolic of either punishment or repentance, depending on how you responded. So in Psalm 140, David is being unjustly chased um, by King Saul He's trying to kill David uh, for no reason whatsoever. And David prays that his enemies would have coals fall on them. Uh, that is obviously a call that his wrongdoers would, that they'd, they'd be brought to attention. Uh, and if they didn't stop, they would be punished uh, in some, because that's, that's what it means. That's all, uh, but then you have Isaiah chapter 6. 
Uh, Isaiah, in chapter 6, walks into the temple, and he sees God and all his holiness and these angels flying around, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah sees all of this, and he realizes, he says, I'm, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen God in all his glory. And those two things can't go together. My sin and God's glory and his holiness, I'm, I'm dead. But God sends an angel in the middle of this, uh, and this angel flies down and grabs a bunch of coals from the fire that's burning in the temple, and the angel puts this coal on Isaiah's lips. And instead of being burned, Isaiah is cleansed, forgiven, and healed. And immediately he puts up his hand, and he says, I, I want to be the person that goes out then. Because God has done this for me, I want to go out and tell everybody about him. So here in this passage, burning coals uh, functions in in two ways. Uh, One, he says, we ought not to let evil overcome us, but ourselves overcome evil by doing good. That our enemies may uh, see that instead of returning their ire with hatred, we love them and go out of our way for them. By doing this, the hope is that, like Isaiah, they will realize what they are doing, the wrong that they are doing, and be ashamed and turn back to God. And if they don't, well then, it's noted at the final judgment by the judge of the universe, the way that they've been acting. All this is to say that Paul does not allow us room to walk away and think that we should act like everybody else, that we should only share our faith if it doesn't cause tension, and that we should let people walk all over us when we are trying to live for Jesus. Instead, when you examine this passage and the entire book of Romans, Paul is advocating for a type of life lived amongst our neighbors where we walk alongside them, purposely demonstrating Jesus' love, whether it's accepted or not, where there's no question that we are followers of Jesus because we go out of our way uh, to invite our neighbors over, to speak the gospel in every conversation, to actively love even when it's costly and makes no sense. So the question then is, does that sort of life describe you? Do your neighbors know that you are a follower of Jesus? Maybe, uh, like me, you've been convicted this morning with what uh, this text is saying. Um, I've just finished, um, yeah, and and you don't know where to start. I've just uh, finished reading a book by Sam Chan on evangelism. I've mentioned this a couple times in the last few sermons because this book's really excellent. Um, but one of the parts that uh, stuck out to me most about this book uh, is he says that if you, if you really want your friends and neighbors to know Jesus, one of the best things that you could do is get help, uh, get the help of other Christians. Um, why? He sa- he puts it, this is the way he puts it. He says, well, imagine that if your next-door neighbor came over and knocked on your door one day, and uh, you invited him in, and you're hanging out, and your neighbor said, guess what happened to me last night? He said, what? Neighbor said, uh, so I was out in my backyard uh, having a barbecue, and all of a sudden, this, this spaceship flew down, landed in my backyard. Uh, the doorway came down, this alien came out, and he invited me to get on his spaceship. And I said, sure, why not? I got on his spaceship. He took me all around the universe, took me to Mars, he uh, showed me his home, 
met his family. We had a, a nice meal together. And then uh, I got back in the spaceship. The spaceship dropped me back off in my backyard, and only one second of Earth time had gone by. Now imagine your neighbor tells you this story. You'd be like, that's, a, that's the dumbest and craziest thing I've ever heard, right? Right? Uh, you, would just not, you would not be inclined to believe that at all. Even if you went over and there were like marks in the ground of what could be an alien spaceship, you know, landing gear or whatever, you'd be like, okay, there's some logical explanation to this. It's, uh, it just doesn't make sense. It's crazy, right? Now imagine then the next day that you are, you are having a, a street-wide potluck barbecue or something. Everyone's coming over to your house and all 20 of your neighbors on your street start telling you the exact same story, right? Hey, guess what happened to me the other night? This alien came down, I got on a spaceship, I went around Mars, we had dinner, and he dropped me off, and one second had gone by. And all of a sudden, every single person on your street has told you this same exact story. Even if you thought, well, I still think this story is pretty crazy, if everybody started to tell you the same exact story, and we're super passionate about it, you might start to be inclined to listen to them, Right? Because it's not just you saying it. It's just not, not just one person saying it. There's a whole bunch of people who are repeating the same story, talking about the things that happened to them, how, why this is important. And what Sam Chan says is Christianity, to a lot of people, is a lot like telling people that an alien has landed in your backyard. The, the good news of, of there's a God that loves you and he sent his one and only son to come and die on a cross for you, but he raised back to, he was raised back to life and he can forgive your sins and make you new and you can be in right relationship with God and have the promise of heaven. That same story sounds just as crazy to many of our friends and family and neighbors as saying that an alien has just landed in our backyard. However, the more he says that he's seen other Christians get involved in this process of sharing the gospel, inviting people over, sharing their lives. Uh, and it's not just you by yourself doing this solo, but other Christians actually care for your family members enough, for your neighbors enough, for your friends enough, that they have the same heart for those people that they want to share their lives. They want to share their stories. They want to care for that person. They want to pray for that person too, that's how walls get broken down and God's spirit starts to move. You may have noticed uh, there's a lot going on around our church lately. We've talked about a lot of these things, and it's a good thing, we think. And we want to give um, opportunities. The reason why is we want to give opportunities for you to do just that, to be able to uh, share the good news with your friends and family and neighbors and do it not just by yourself, but alongside other Christians. So maybe you want to invite some neighbors and their kids to Lollipalooza where there's gonna, they'll have a safe, fun place to get lots of other lollies and meet other Christians and hear about these crazy people who do this crazy thing on Halloween that we care much, this much about you to hang out with you. Salt Cafe is just around the corner. It's a week away. It's designed to be a non-confrontational way to invite your non-Christian friends for coffee and to enjoy good music. And while they are here, they can discover other crazy people like you who love Jesus. Maybe you want to host a brunches and lunches. Uh, we talked about that the other week. Uh, and attend, and invite your neighbor along to attend with other Christians who are hanging out to hear their stories or you'd like to bring someone along. I can't think of a better setting uh, to have spiritual conversations than something like that. What an awesome opportunity to be able to share the gospel with our friends. 
You've just heard today about Operation Christmas Child, which is an opportunity to be a loving neighbor to communities in different parts of the world. See, we cannot walk away from this passage and apply the impossible application. If we know and have received God's incredible love through Jesus, we should tell everyone, even if it's costly. And we would love uh, to help you to do that. Um, that's why all these events are going on. We'd love to come alongside, pray with you, talk with you about that. You can invite me over whenever you want for free food. I'd love to share the gospel with your neighbors. Can we be a church whose heart beats for our community to come into the love and knowledge of Jesus? Let me pray. God, I just want to thank you for um, Paul's instructions here on what it looks like to be uh, good neighbors and citizens in our in, uh, in our communities. That you give us some really um, good and simple wisdom in what it looks like to extend your love to others. I thank you for um, the whole of your word as well, um, where we are challenged to not just look like everybody else, but to have a, a real heart for sharing your good news um, with those around us, even if it's costly. Lord, we want to be a church that looks like that, a church that we are um, constantly inviting people in, um, loving people who are in need, um, walking alongside our friends and neighbors and family who don't know you because, Lord, you have a heart for them, and we want to have a heart for them as well. So we pray that as we, um, yeah, these truths will um, trickle down into our hearts and minds and lives and that we would start um, living these things out and taking them seriously. We thank you for the number of opportunities that are going on around our church to be um, invitational and welcoming and to get other Christians involved. Lord, help us. And we want to pray specifically for those people who we are already uh, in conversation with who we are already extending love and welcome to, but for whatever reason have not chosen um, to follow you yet. Lord, it's our desire to see them in the kingdom, so we pray that your spirit would move powerfully in those hearts and lives, and that we would see our friends, neighbors, family, communities changed because you've been at work uh, in and through your church. We love you, we thank you, and we look forward to what you're going to be doing um, through us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.